Welcome to this episode of TechLink in Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, a director at Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on TechLink, our knowledge management tool for all things tax, trust, pensions, and much, much more. But today, we are going to do something slightly different. Across the profession, there are many people going beyond diploma and even beyond childhood. Several universities have master's qualifications and students have undertaken significant research. Our interview today explores the research, its findings, but also the journey. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Alex Hall, who completed his dissertation in 2023. Hello, Alex. How are you? Very well, thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Thanks for having me on today. I'm really pleased you're here. And I'm going to start off with a really challenging, difficult question, if I may. Um, so to get me through uh, this uh, this uh, recording today, um, I uh, have my, one of my favourite teas. It's a, so it's a uh, Darjeeling uh, green leaf tea. Um, so what's going to get you through this recording? Well, Eddie, it's only a Wednesday today. Uh, so I've got a, a PG Tips tea from the office kitchen, which will uh, get me through. Brilliant, brilliant. A real traditional tea drinker. <laughs> Um, so thank you for sharing a copy of your research in advance, which which really focuses on uh, inspiring the next generation of advisors. Um, so uh, I'm curious, how did you decide to uh, to look at that piece of research? So Eddie, I joined the sector as a rather naive 21 year old, almost 10 years ago to this very day, and working for um, SJP in that time has been an incredible experience for me and working directly with many advisors I see the good that they do with clients every single working day and in my specific role within marketing and, and working within our our academy uh, I've been really close to the talent shortage that is facing our profession uh, and the opportunity I believe that exists for us to inspire a new generation of advisors and that's where my interest in this area really stemmed from. Uh, and I recall seeing an article uh, back in 2019 that referenced the Heath report that said that one in five advisors could exit in five years. And I just thought to myself, wow, if that happens, then this could be a real kind of critical issue, not just for our business, but the, the wider profession, uh, because I, I couldn't see directly where the next generation would be coming from. Um, and I sense that as a as a profession, we're not doing enough to attract talent. And I, I wanted to understand why that is. Brilliant. And um, so just think about your research. What would you say are the sort of key findings of, of your research? Yes, yeah, so as you say, the, the research was primarily focused on addressing this challenge of how to attract new and diverse talent into the sector. And I wanted to try and understand why more individuals aren't choosing financial advice as a career and what makes other professions such as law and accounting perhaps more attractive. And in doing so, I really wanted to understand the key influences or drivers behind career decisions. Um, and I also aim to kind of pinpoint the, the barriers that may prevent individuals from choosing financial advice as a, as a career. Uh, because I, I believe that by understanding those barriers, uh, we can then put in place strategies to overcome them. And, in terms of the key findings, well, first of all, I really had to understand the scale of the problem. So I actually contacted the FCA directly and asked for total advisor numbers as far back as they could go. 
And they gave me data back to 2010, where they said there were just over 49,500 financial advisors. Um, in 2022, that number now stands at 37,237 individuals that can provide advice on retail investments. And that number has remained static, has actually dropped slightly since RDR in 2012. Um, I also looked at the age profile of advisors and discovered that only 6% are under the age of 30, 1% are under the age of 25, uh, and over 51% are over the age of 50, and actually 17% are over the age of 60. Um, I also learned really that the, the advice profession has a diversity challenge. Uh, only 16% of advisors in the sector are female, but today in the UK, 51% of the UK population is female. So for a, a profession where relationships are key, the lack of role models and wider diversity, I believe, could be a significant barrier. In terms of other findings, I had the privilege of interviewing students from different universities and backgrounds. Uh, not one of them could articulate the role of a financial advisor to me. Only one student had heard of our business, St. James's Place. And 100% of students that I spoke to, so every single one, uh, assumed that you needed to be good at maths to be a good financial advisor. Um, and rather interestingly as well, uh, when I spoke to a lot of students, they uh, crave flexibility when they're deciding on a particular career. Uh, they want to be able to try before you buy uh, when it comes to a particular career choice. And uh, financial advice can be quite rigid in terms of its career path uh, because of its very nature. You build long-term relationships with clients. Um, and actually, when I sat down with students as well and asked them what came to their mind when I said uh, the role of a financial advisor. Um, one said, I can see men in suits working in Canary Wharf, uh, was one of their responses. Um, a number of students also said that they like picking companies or sectors uh, where they know the company or they use the products. Uh, and most young people aren't taught finance in school. In schools, they're not taught about money management um, and uh, don't receive financial education in the main. So. You know, some of the students that I spoke to said, well, how could I possibly become a financial advisor if I know nothing about it? Um, I then had the privilege of interviewing some financial advisors as well, who typically said that they fell into the profession by chance, as opposed to following this, you know, a, a clear development pathway. Um, and also stated that increasing regulation, in their view, was making the sector less attractive to new entrants. Um, and then finally, Eddie, I interviewed a number of experienced individuals working across the sector in employed roles like yourself. And they highlighted some negative perceptions in the media uh, that could be hurting our profession. Uh, one individual said that um, there's a perception that financial advisors are out there to get your money, not help you get money. Um, and they also talked about financial advice not being perceived as one of those kind of core professions like law and accounting that make, would make it an aspirational career choice. Um, and also, you know, a lot of them, uh, a lot of the advisors I spoke to uh, referenced the lack of training and development programs that exist to support smaller businesses operating in our sector. Um, good advisors don't always make uh, good managers and trainers, and they really need help when attracting and training new talent. Um, so th those were kind of the key findings, Eddie, but it was a, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the research. It was, it was great. Uh, really, really amazing. Um findings and uh a bit sobering really uh, uh you know especially when you i think you said 
um, 6% of advisors are under under 30. Um, that's that's a, a pretty sobering uh, thought when we're thinking about the, the next generation um, of, of advisors, but also thinking about how are we going to create great habits in younger people if they've got no advisors to talk to who who uh, um, can understand them and, and, and their aspirations. Um, so that's a that's an, a, a fascinating uh, fact, and 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 obviously the sort of female six. I think you said sixteen percent advisors are female uh, out of fifty one percent UK population, and I think that's a you know that's that's just a massive challenge once again. If uh, if you think about where wealth is going, um, uh, more wealth will be in 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 women's hands than men's hands as as uh, as we think about uh, the transfer of wealth, um, and therefore um, there's a massive opportunity from a flexibility perspective uh, and a career flexibility for for female advisors. Um, I recently attended the the SJP graduation um, and uh, was inspired by um, you know this, the, the the diversity of the of the people that are coming out of the the academy. Um, and uh, and uh, and also listening to one of the speakers who talked about um, how they how they sort of came into the industry, how they grew their business um, around bringing up a young family, um, you know, you know. So there are some fast, fantastic examples, aren't there, of of how the industry can work for for um, uh, for future advisors. Um, well, I would add to that as well, Eddie, is that. A theme that came up in the conversations linked to age was, can young people make great advisors? And uh, that's because the role of an advisor requires an ability for that individual to build rapport and uh, a strong relationship with a client, many of which may be, may be older. Um, but what I've seen during my research and across SJP is that, you know, we've got lots of brilliant uh, examples of young advisors that are great advisors. Uh, that are in their mid to late 20s. And I think it also creates, given there's a, a huge intergenerational wealth transfer opportunity over the years ahead, I think we're missing a trick not to bring through the next generation to help clients across generations. So I think there's a lot more that we can do there. Yeah. And we've, uh, so we've been technical connection, we've, we, we've been um, developing our technical academy where, where we take 18-year-old apprentices and, and take them through the the professional qualifications, um, and we've got some that are, are, are coming out uh, all the way through to chartered now. Um, but that's also, uh, you know, when you're as old as me, uh, it was the insurance companies that you know took on the in an employed role, trained people, took them through the profession. So all those people you spoke to, advisors, the older advisors, often came from insurance companies, and uh, and then they moved over to becoming an advisor. Once they had built their knowledge up in, in an employed world, world normally as an uh, 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 we've insurance company, normally as an uh, as what we were called in those days as an inspector, um, uh, knocking on the door of many advisors, um, and I think obviously we've lost that. And when I look at our academy, and we've got eighteen year olds who've decided they don't want thirty, forty, fifty thousand pounds worth of student debt. What they want to do is is to learn a profession. Um, not have the debt 
and come out with professional qualifications over a sort of three to five year period, um, you know, I think there's a massive opportunity for employers uh, in the profession to to do more apprenticeships. Um, there's just not enough apprenticeships and opportunities for people, and, and it may be one of the things that you you come out with your your research. Um, <laughs> But but let let me take you back to that research and 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 I know you you, you would have looked at sort of theories in the uh, in the, a literature review part. So what were what were the theories that, that that came out as part of your research? So there were a few different theories that I looked at at each. The main one that I, I felt was fascinating and really particularly relevant to the, the research was um, uh, a theory called social cognitive career theory. So I was looking at how career decisions are formed and uh, social cognitive career theory which is quite a mouthful uh, is um, it states that individuals are active agents in the pursuit of career interests and what that means in layman's terms is that when it comes to our careers we're not passengers or packed, uh, passive um, we uh, determine as individuals what career paths we want to follow and often take proactive steps to achieve our career goals um, and what that means is that career decisions can be influenced by lots of different factors. So um, social cognitive career theory effectively states that career decisions are influenced by three things, self-efficacy beliefs, outcome expectations, and personal goals. So self-efficacy beliefs relates to an individual's confidence to perform an action or make a career decision. So an individual might ask themselves in the context of career decision-making, what am I good at and what do I enjoy? And equally on the contrary, what, what don't I enjoy and what, where are my development areas? Um, outcome expectations then refers to an individual's belief in the consequences of performing an action. So again, in the context of careers, someone might think, well, what are the benefits or risks associated with that particular career path? And how does it align with my values and interests as an individual? And then personal goals is about someone's intention to pursue a specific career path or outcome. So they might consider, well, what are my short and long-term goals and what do I want to really achieve in my career? And essentially the theory um, states that that is a process that can be heavily influenced. So it was interesting that the students who I interviewed as part of my research frequently mentioned social pressure when deciding on a career path. They spoke to friends, family members before they made uh, career decisions. They looked at the media uh, and what was being said about particular companies and sectors. And I think what this means in the context of our sector, Eddie, and growing the profession, is that the barriers I mentioned earlier um, are likely to have a significant impact on the overall kind of attractiveness of financial advice as a sector. So for example, if the advice community lacks diversity and there are a lack of role models in our profession, like female role models, for example, then less people are likely to believe that they meet the traditional stereotype of being a financial advisor, i.e. if I see financial advisors being men in suits working Canary Wharf, I'm not a man, I don't want to wear a suit, I don't want to work in London, I'm not going to pick that that career path. Um, so um, yeah, it was a really, really interesting theory, Eddie, that made me think very differently about some of the barriers that um, um, exist for new advisors in our sector. I think that's... Um... You think about the sort of uh, social pressure in the media. I think you know when you look at um, 
LinkedIn and various other things and you see some of the commentary. Um, uh, as a profession, we don't feel united. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and obviously that you know it's it, it's all stuff that if you were if you were to sort of dig down into the profession, um, it feels like it's a profession that that uh, uh, is quite tribal at times, and I, and I think that's probably that's probably not a positive if we're trying to make the the profession an attractive place for 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 the next generation of advisors. Yeah, absolutely, I, c- I couldn't agree more. And as a young person coming into it all those years ago now, seeing. Uh, some of the comments that uh, individuals make across the profession towards each other, I found uh, quite surprising, really. And I don't think that that type of commentary takes place in other professions like those that I mentioned at the start, uh, you know, law and accountancy. Um, I, I think they have a much more united presence as, um, as, as sectors and professions in our society. Well, as someone who's involved in the professional bodies, as, as, as you know, um... You know, I, I, I I'm not I'm not convinced the professional bodies have uh, uh, it, it's it's been great for you know for a sector in in that respect as well. It you know so I think I think you know being an attractive profession requires everyone um, to to uh, collaborate and work together um, for the, for the sake of the profession. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Um, so you talked about the interviews. It sounds like the interviews went really well. Um, any surprises in the interviews? Anything that you felt uh, that wasn't exactly how I thought it was going to go, good or bad? I mean, I absolutely loved the process, Eddie. Uh, it felt like a real privilege to be able to speak to so many interesting people. And so I completed 20 interviews and in one focus group with a particular university where I had 20 students in one room. And all conversations that I had were, you know, really, really interesting. I managed to speak with lots of different diverse individuals from different backgrounds. Um, and, and I think I mentioned it already, but, you know, the, the, the surprise for me was that there was really no relationship with, between young people and money or the financial advice sector at all. And... Yeah, I did find that surprising because it's you know issues such as inflation and debt um, are becoming uh, more prominent in our society, especially with things like the cost of living crisis. Um, so, you know, for, for the students that I spoke to, not really to have any understanding of what a financial advisor can do to help individuals with some of those issues and challenges. And managing their money, I did find quite surprising. Um, equally, when I then spoke to students about, you know, financial advice is about building relationships with clients, you could see their eyes light up and suddenly thought that that did sound like a more aspirational or fulfilling career choice. You didn't need, it wasn't about being stuck in front of a computer screen all day uh, or managing investments directly. Um, and you didn't even need to come from a finance background. You know, we have many individuals join the sector that um, have no background in maths or finance. And it was just really great to see that, you know, as I explained that to students, their perspectives changed. And I think that gives us a, gave me a sense of the opportunity facing our sector, is that if we get the, me- the right messages out there and the right story, then I really do believe we can change 
beliefs and perceptions towards financial advice as a career option. Brilliant. And uh, as part of your research, you you know come to the conclusion and you'll make some some uh, uh, recommendations and findings. Uh, what 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 were your uh, key uh, findings of the research and recommendations? So three three ones really um, in terms of um, kind of key learns for me, and the first one of which is that it is a problem. Um, and we need to recognise across the sector that it, it is a challenge for us. Uh, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. I don't think we're doing enough uh, to inspire the next generation of advisors currently and to make financial advice a, an aspirational career choice for young people. Uh, and yeah, this is a real challenge that, as you've mentioned, Eddie, requires a more coordinated response from our sector and a more united voice across companies, professional bodies, regulators uh, i think it's it, it needs to be uh, yeah much more much more of a united voice um the second of which uh, you mentioned earlier but the the lack of apprenticeships or uh, clear development pathways for individuals is another challenge we need to um, establish a much clearer route for uh, people to join the the advice profession um you know again if i compare law for example, the pathway to become a solicitor is so clear. My wife is a solicitor. Uh, we did the same degree at uni, a history degree, and uh, she took some very well-defined steps to become a solicitor post post university. You know, completing a, a conversion degree, um, securing a training contract, working as a paralegal, becoming a solicitor, uh, and that route was very clear to her from day one. If I asked anyone to articulate the uh, equivalent career path for a financial advisor, I think you would get some very different responses. Um, and I think what we do have, though, is the potential to build a similar pathway. Um, I look at some of the administrative roles, power planning roles. You know, they are great proving grounds and um, opportunities for aspiring advisors to learn the day to day of uh, becoming an advisor and could give young people who crave that flexibility early on in their career to try before they buy to um, start in a more junior role as they build towards client contact. Um, and then the, the third one, Eddie, was just, uh, I think financial advice and financial advisors uh, need to find a more united voice in the sector in terms of promoting not just the value of advice, but the value of advisors. So I do think this starts with financial education and money management in schools and universities, especially universities where you do start to take on your first credit card, managing a student loan. Suddenly, money management becomes a bit more important than it used to be. Um, and I think if more young people are exposed to uh, money management, you know, learning about things such as mortgages, debt, compound interests, they're more likely to develop an interest themselves in financial advice as a career, in my opinion. Um, and as I said, interestingly, when I told stu students that financial advice represented an opportunity to help people in some of these areas and build relationships with people, then suddenly they were very interested in what we do. I, um, I, I, like, I like the concept of, uh, you talk about the value of advice, but the, the value of advisors, I think I, I like that. I've always, uh, I've always liked the term, uh, the, the National Wealth Service, um, uh, because I think... Uh, I think a lot of what financial advisors, financial planners do is uh, non-financial. 
um, and uh, they keep they keep their their clients um, uh, they keep their confidence when the markets are turbulent. Um, they uh, nudge at the right time to encourage them to do things. And I I, I have a, uh, a financial planner, and uh, they continually nudge me. Uh, I'm like a, a, a watchmaker whose clocks are always wrong. Um, you know, my personal finances, I need someone to keep nudging me. Um, but I also think there's a the, the, the financial planner, uh, from a non-financial point of view, um, helps the next, the transfer of wealth. And, 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 and uh, my biggest concern is if I was hit by a bus, what would my wife do? Who would she turn to? Who she, would she talk to? Um, who would my kids talk to? And so one of the key things for me when I uh, chose a financial planner was, um, are they the right person for my wife and my children? Um, because that's the key relationship um, uh, is, 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 is for them. So that, you know, from a vulnerability point of view, to help them during a, during a period that, you know, my family may possibly be upset if I was hit by a bus. You never, <laughs> uh, but, but I think it's absolutely vital, the service that the financial planner does in those, in those situations. I think you should copyright National Wealth Service. National Wealth Service. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's quite possible. Well, I'm thinking it's, it's absolutely possible, actually, that people have been inspired by what you've talked about, the research, the, 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 the masters that you, you've taken. And actually, they're probably thinking, well, I should, I should do a master's. Uh, so what would your advice be to... Uh, to people thinking about doing masters, what what sort of hints and tips would you give them? Again, uh, three from me. I would say the first of which is to just choose a topic that you're really passionate about, because you're going to be spending uh, lots and lots of time, uh, evenings, weekends, most likely, um, spent reading hundreds of articles and then writing about this topic. And if it's something you're not truly interested in. Uh, then I could imagine uh, running out of steam and finding the whole process quite frustrating. So um, yeah, choose a topic that you're passionate about. And um, I think collaboration as well. I was just, I was amazed how many people out there are willing to help uh, and are so generous with their time. Uh, so reach out to peers, competitors, uh, professors, advisors. And I think it that, that would really enhance the overall learning experience. So um yeah i absolutely love that part of the, the process um and then thirdly um plan effectively uh, and uh i think it's important to work backwards from your deadline and set interval deadlines for each phase in terms of when you're going to complete the research uh when you're going to start writing break it into chapters to um break it into some more sizable chunks so um those would be my three top tips brilliant and uh in traditional desert island disc fashion if the waves came along and and only left you with one of those must-do tips which one would you think is is the most important well if i was stuck on a desert island i'd hope that i'm not writing a dissertation <laughs> but um, my my number one would be that the first one so follow follow your passions and interests so i think if you do that in life then you can't go too far wrong brilliant uh, on that note thank you so much for your time Alex, and for sharing your insights today. I, I, I think it's been a, a really brilliant 
conversation. Uh, you've been generous with your time as well uh, to share. So thank you so much. And I, and I look forward to catching up again as always. Thank you. Thanks, Eddie. The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any action or inaction.